Uh, I had the privilege with my family of being at the uh, presentation yesterday, the matinee at 3, I think it was, and uh, just really blown away. It's, it's fantastic. I'd gotten to see last year's. If you haven't been, you have to go, even if it's standing room only this afternoon. The one solo, Oh Holy Night, will be worth you the, the whole thing. I mean, absolutely. And that's even better than the uh, elephant, um, <laughs> which tried to steal the show yesterday afternoon. But Anyway, have you heard this one? Did you know that what would have happened if it had been uh, wise women instead of wise men? We don't know how many, of course. But if it had been wise women, they would have asked directions. They would have arrived on time. They would have helped deliver the baby, cleaned the stable or wherever they lived at the time they finally got there. They would have brought more practical gifts and they would have made a casserole. <laughs> I know that you're praying in this church and I am joining you in that prayer for an outstanding man of God who will come and, uh, and lead this church in a pastoral role. Uh, you've already got a great staff and a wonderful uh, body of uh, believers uh, maybe you've heard this description of the perfect pastor. He preaches exactly 20 minutes and then sits down. He condemns sin, but he never hurts anyone's feelings. He works from uh, 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. in every kind of church work, from visiting the hospital to calling on the homebound. And yet he spends every waking moment evangelizing the unchurched. And he's never out of the office when you phone. Uh, he makes a minimal salary, but his well-behaved children are dressed well. And his wife is always stylish. He drives a nice car. He gives 20% or more a week to the church. He's 26 years of age. He's been in the ministry 30 years. <laughs> he has a burning heart for youth, and he spends all his time with the elderly. And best of all, although he's been to seminary for years and years, he agrees with you on every detail of theology. <laughs> That's a joke. <laughs> You just keep praying for that guy who can walk on water, and he'll probably try. <laughs> but I'll guarantee you he won't be able to. He'll be just like you and me, struggling, human, uh, dealing with all the issues of parenting and grandparenting. And he'll be at the foot of the cross on his face regularly, I pray, finding strength in the one who has the strength, and that's not us, Right? Amen. Don't, don't let your little kid or your little boy or girl be like the, uh, like the one who was leaving the assembly one day and uh, walked up to the, to the pastor and said, uh, when I grow up, I want to give you some money. And the preacher said, well, great, thank you. Well, can I ask why? And he said, yeah, because my daddy says you're one of the poorest preachers we've ever had. Let me, take you to, uh, let me take you to a story that will open a window, hopefully, or a door that will be able to uh, uh, make an emphasis that I want to make with you this morning. You have for three years been looking at God's Word from Genesis all the way through uh, Revelation, Revelation, singular. And um, you've learned an awful lot. There's no question. If you've been here on a regular basis, even if you've missed some, you could have gone to the website or you could get the handout and, and you could learn a ton. I know that every one of you, no matter how many years you studied the Word, no matter how much in detail you've studied, you've learned something. You've been blessed. Isn't that right? You've been tremendously blessed. I, I, I've never seen a class taught with more passion, with more diligence, with more uh, uh, good analysis and with more insight. I'm honest in saying that. And I've, I've seen a lot of different teachers. So you are very, very blessed. Now, what difference will it make? 
What difference will it make? Bottom line, if you've been here every Sunday for three years and you've heard Mark at his very best and you've looked at God's Word at its very best, what difference will it make? Well, in answer to that question, let me go back to uh, a time that some of you will remember, others of you have just heard about, maybe you've seen the movie about it. I was watching television that day in 1980 in the Winter Olympics when that uh, amazing team um, wrapped up the gold medal, the Americans that nobody thought would do much at all. They beat the Russians, uh, and on that particular uh, presentation uh, during that uh, win, they had a special vignette, a little portrait of Jim Craig. All the amateur athletes on that team became national heroes, I guess. Uh, I think they should have gotten that award at the end of the century, (laughs) by the way. But anyway... um, They did a special little portrait of Jim Craig, who was the goalie, and his family. It was beautiful. Uh, They interviewed the father. They talked to Jim. They talked about the incredible respect they had for their parents. Uh, Unfortunately, the mother had died two years earlier. But the father talked about his love for his wife and his respect for his kids and his full support for Jim. And then when the final win came and the U.S. team beat the Finland team, I was watching, and I remember the crowd just came unglued. I mean, they were throwing hats and coats and jumping up and down and hugging total strangers and just yelling to the top of their lungs. And the camera zoomed in on Jim Craig, who was the goalie, who raised his mask, and he intently looked into the crowd, and it was as if he was counting the rows of seats. And millions of us read his lips as he says, "'Where's my father?' The next morning or so, he was interviewed on Good Morning America, and he was asked the question, what were you doing right after the win? We watched you, but what were you up to? And he said, I was looking for my father. I just wanted to establish eye contact with him, and everything would be all right, and I would know that we were thinking the same thing, wishing mother could be there. Now, that touched me deeply. That's a beautiful picture of family affection that too often in our age is relegated to a bygone era. But there's more in that, I think. To me, as I thought about it, there was a symbol, a beautiful, powerful symbol of the relationship that each one of us as God's children wants to have with God. I grew up as a preacher's kid, PK. I married a preacher's kid, (laughs) so we're in deep trouble. (laughs) Married 39 years, and we're still in deep trouble. (laughs) When my dad was preaching, all he had to do was look down to where I was. He didn't have to say a word to me. He could be quoting a scripture if he looked at me in a certain way, and I knew what he was saying. He was saying, straighten up. Stop what you're doing if you're distracting from what I'm trying to get across here. You know what I'm saying. Your parent didn't have to be a a preacher for that to happen. And you can communicate to your kids and to your mates and all that without a word. Just establishing eye contact can be so very, very important. And that's that's my basic bottom line. That's my appeal to you this morning, that you and I find the way, find the time, find the discipline, make the decision... Do whatever it takes 
And it will be tough. It's the longest struggle, I believe, of all of our Christian lives to stay in the Word every single day. And and let me tell you why. A little bit more about why. I'll ask you the question, how how do you establish eye contact with God anyway? The Bible tells us in John 1 that God is invisible. Other parts of the Bible tell us the same thing. So if God is invisible, well, how are we going to do this? Psalms uh, 121, Psalm 123, and many others talk about, the psalmist writes, I'm going to lift my eyes to the hills. I'm going to lift my eyes to you, O thou God of heaven and earth. What are you going to see? You're not going to see face like ours. How are you going to establish eye contact with the Father? Well, Paul knows, and many other writers of the New Testament know, Paul told us in Colossians chapter 1 that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Uh, The Hebrews writer, chapter 1 verse 3, talked about the same thing. Just basically said he reflects the glory of God, the image of God. When you're you're looking at Jesus, what do you see? Well, in John chapter 14, and if you've got your Bibles, let's go ahead and turn there. I want you to hang on to to one of the several scriptures we're going to refer to. John 14 is one of my very, very favorites. And the conversation that's here and one that's earlier in John 4, we'll we'll get a little focus later on. John 14 has Jesus shortly before the Last Supper. Uh, He's been with these guys now for, oh, quite a while, at least two years, probably three uh, he's about to leave them. He's anticipating being separated from them. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled, verse 1. He tells them why. He's going to prepare a place. He's going to make it ready for them. And Thomas says to the Father, verse five, uh, to, to Jesus, rather, in verse 5, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, you know this one, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, watch this, you would know the Father, my Father as well. From now on, you do know Him and you have seen Him. That would be enough, you would think. Okay, that makes a point. But Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. (laughs) Duh. (laughs) I am constantly amazed when I look at Jesus through the Gospels and how He deals with these Slow to understand, selfish, argumentative, me first kind of disciples, just like us. Show us the Father, Jesus. That's all we need. Jesus answered, verse 9, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father, that the Father is in me? And he goes on from there. Here's the point. If you're looking at Jesus, and we have the Gospels through which specifically a portrait, a powerful portrait of Jesus is painted. If you're looking at Jesus, you are looking at God. Have you been watching Him lately? Have you been spending time in the Gospels regularly with discipline, with anticipation of His message to you? Have you been forming your own character, making your own decisions, and patterning yourself after that one who is painted right there clearly in the Gospels? What do you see if you choose the discipline 
and I pray you will, and many of you have, I'm sure, you wouldn't be in here, of daily time in the Word. What do you see? Now, let me just kind of rummage through some of the options, it seems to me. If you're looking at Jesus in the Gospels, you're seeing God in the flesh. I love that line in, in Mary, Did You Know? I don't know the exact words, but when you kiss your little baby, you kiss the face of God. Ooh. What do you see? I see God in the flesh stopping a whole crowd of people who are trying to silence a blind loudmouth on the side of the road named Bartimaeus on the Jericho Road and saying, come over here, and healing him. I see God in the flesh reaching out to touch. He didn't have to, but He reached out to touch the leper. Nobody else wanted to be close to Him, certainly not to touch Him. That's my God in the flesh. I see Him with arms open, welcoming little children to His lap. These same little kids that could be monsters, you know, just keeping you from getting your goals accomplished during the day. He welcomes them. The disciples didn't want Him around. I mean, He's, he's too busy. But he says, let the little children come. Um, I see him never so hurried, never so much on a schedule that he can't be interrupted by needy people. What about that bleeding woman that just grabbed for his his clothing, just, just wanted to touch the hem of his garment? He stopped and he talked to her and he healed her. Even those people with bad motives... The, 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 the lawyer that wanted to look good. You know, the young man who didn't, he wasn't willing to, the rich young man who, who wasn't willing to make the lifestyle changes that Jesus would demand, but he wanted to ask the right question. He wanted to look good. He wanted to get some kind of confirmation without willingness to change. Jesus always had time for those people. No matter their condition, no matter their state, when I'm watching Jesus, if I'm forming my character to be like Him, I am focused differently. My perspective changes. I'm not looking so much at the things my life can accumulate as I am looking at the people who may need a listening ear, a good question, time, maybe a calming touch, a healing word, a prayer. Yesterday, my wife was on the phone uh, talking to a fairly new friend and found out that she is having incredibly bad marital problems. And a few minutes later, I walked through the room and she was praying with her over the phone. And I thought, that's good. (laughs) That's right. That's what ought to happen. Best advice, you know, aside, prayer is what, what needs to happen. I think that's because she and others of you have your eyes on Jesus. When you're looking at Him, you're looking at the Father. Too many of us are, are like our age and our culture. We, we know the price of everything, but we know the value of very little. We have plenty in our purse, so to speak, but we have almost nothing in our person unless we're looking at the Father to find out what His purpose is for us. And, and 
my plea this morning is, and I'm, I'm talking to myself as much as I am, or maybe more than anybody else here, my plea, I believe, from God is, let's look at God's Word for more than information. It's fascinating. It's interesting to know all the if, ands, and buts, the, the analysis, the details. I've been trained in the linguistics. I've studied like Mark and others to be able to analyze and dissect and, and, and all of that. But, you know, I've sat at the feet of men and women who were experts on the Word. They had the greatest terminal degrees that you can gather about the Word, but they didn't know its author. They, they saw it as an interesting antique on a museum shelf that ought to be carefully analyzed, but, but not revealing of the One who spoke everything into existence and who loves us tiny little specks in the universe that we are, who loves us and wants to know everything about us and cares about every little detail of our lives. That's the Father I want to get my eyes on. That's the one I want to establish eye contact with so that I can know what He's thinking, so that I can think the same thing, so that I can form my life to be more and more like like Him. How do you do that? Well, let me just remind you that God is available to you at every moment. Isn't that great? I'm sure that in the last week or two, you've, you've placed a call or two to somebody that didn't have time to talk to you. Or somebody that, that through their secretary asked, may I ask who's calling? I'm going to qualify you to see if you are one of the people that he or she wants to talk to. God's not going to do that to you. God's not going to be in conference. God's not going to be unavailable, out of the office. He's there and He's waiting and He more than anything else yearns for the intimate conversation with you by which you hear Him and He hears you. And that primarily happens through the Word. That's just, that's it. You can't find a better thing for communicating with God to know His will than right there in the Word. As difficult as some parts of it are, and I'm referring to Revelation. I got a couple of words about Revelation, by the way. <laughs> One is, if anybody tells you they've got it all figured out, you run the other way. <laughs> I'm not kidding. The people who have it all figured out and can tell you what symbol represent the helicopters and the fighter planes and all the other stuff, I'm sorry, I'm not going there. Uh, that's just not... That's not God's message through revelation. God's message through revelation is singular and clear, and you may never figure out all the symbols and all the numbers and all the grotesque visions and all of that, but I'm going to tell you, there's one clear message. I was talking with Mark about it this last week. Here it is. God's going to win. Let me say it again. God is going to win. And the persecuted Christians at the end of the first centuries needed to hear that more than anything else. God's going to win. And you may have to die in the process of holding on to your faith. It's worth it. That's the message because God's going to win. And when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are going to win as well. Now that's the message of Revelation. And you may never. I know I've been studying it for years and taught it on a college level. And I don't, I don't have it figured out. I don't. I know some of the options, and I like some of those, but I still have to say, you know, (laughs) not sure. Not sure. John probably was sure. 
I don't even know if John was sure. God was sure. Jesus was sure. And I can put my faith in them. Apocalyptic literature, by the way, which is what Revelation is and Ezekiel, parts of Ezekiel and, and other parts of the Bible, apocalyptic literature is consistently written to people who are under oppression, who are seriously suffering and who need encouragement. And the encouragement was, hold on, God's going to win. No matter what gets poured out on you, no matter what opens up and scares you, God will get you through it. Well, Revelation is a, is a valid message, just like the other parts of the Bible. And I believe if you're doing a regular daily Bible study, whether you're in the, in the Gospels on uh, three days a week or, or, or maybe consistently for several months, and then you go to Revelation or then you go to Ezekiel or then you go to Genesis or whatever, I don't advocate so much, you may prefer to do this, that you read straight through. You know why? Because I want you in the Gospels on a regular basis. Maybe if you do a one paragraph of the Gospels every day and then go read something else. At the end of the, and I'm almost there, at the end of my thoughts, I'm going to give you some very practical, uh, four or five very practical things that if you will do these things, it will make all the difference in your daily discipline of being in the Word. Let me tell you a story, though, first. We are so much like the two people in a little town in Cape Cod, aren't we? Every morning at exactly the same time, the phone rang, the phone operator got the call, and the guy on the other end said, can you tell me the time? And the operator would say, well, yeah, you know, she'd give the time. And, and this happened day after day after day. Finally, the operator said, can I ask why you always call and give and ask the time? And the, the other caller said, well, sure, I'll tell you, because I set the, the timer on the noon whistle and... Uh, so that that thing will be right on schedule. She said, oh, that's funny. That's interesting because I set my clock by your whistle every day. Think about it. We look for standards in our life. In so many areas, we look for them to other people. We look to our culture. We look to the experts. We look to the Hollywood. We look to the wherever. But God Himself is right here ready to give us the standard, ready to, to reveal the truth through Jesus Christ to us. And we're looking everywhere else. And even Christians, even the best of Christians, get caught in that, that pattern of frenetic activity. The activities are good, but they're not as good as the highest priority that would call us to the Word every day. God is available. He won't turn you away. He wants to communicate with you. He wants to hear from you. And He yearns to shape and transform our lives if we'll come to Him. So I want to give you some practical suggestions. And then we'll have the quartet sing. Um, if, you, if you can jot some of these down or memorize them, I think you'll be blessed. Number one, you need to choose a definite place and time. I know sometimes your schedule varies like mine, so it's not so predictable. You're traveling or you're out of pocket at the, at the, at the right time. But whether you choose uh, morning or night or somewhere in between, and maybe you want to do it more than once a day, but every single day, try to do the pattern. Try to set the appointment with God, so to speak, and, and make sure you get there. Now, if it's early in the morning or late at night, make sure you get vertical. Horizontal prayer doesn't work. Horizontal Bible reading doesn't usually work. 
If you're horizontal, it's at the end of the day, you're going to pass out. It's okay to fall asleep praying to God. He doesn't mind. But He wants your best conversation with Him when you're fully alert. So get up in the morning, early. Jesus was the pattern for us in Mark chapter 1. After the busiest day of His life that we have revealed in Mark chapter 1, very busy with opposition, with healing, with teaching, all of that, that night He slept a brief few hours. We don't know exactly the time, but He was up earlier than anybody else before dawn, and He's out in a solitary place, and the disciples come looking for Him. They're disturbed. They can't find Him. It's clear He's there to pray. And he needed that time. If Jesus needed that, do you think we might? It's pretty obvious. (laughs) You know why Jesus won the battles in the Garden of Gethsemane? You know why Jesus won the battles on the cross? You know why Jesus won the battles in dealing with those selfish disciples and, 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 and the opposition that was ready to string him up early on in his ministry? It's because of that solitary prayer time. It's because of that time with God when his heart was open. And and we continued to say, as he does in the Gospel of John, I'm here to do the will of the one who sent me. Not my own, but I'm, I'm here to do his will. So we choose a definite place and time. We get fully awake. We get out of bed. We're vertical. We're sitting up or standing up. We maybe got a cup of coffee. We're using a Bible, I suggest, with larger print. Make it so you don't have to squint. Make it as easy as possible so you can really, really see it, okay? Get the large print. Go ahead and admit you need it. (laughs) That may be the hardest part, huh? But also get a Bible you can understand. There are lots of good paraphrases out. The one that that has everybody's attention these days is The Message by Eugene Peterson. It's fabulous. It's not made for for, uh, exegetical kind of analysis. It's not made for dissecting, so to speak, and analyzing. It's made for communicating, okay? But there are some really good, that's a paraphrase, but there are some really excellent, multiple excellent translations. I use an NIV, the New International Version. I think that's the one Mark uses regularly. And uh, that's excellent. But there are lots of other good ones. Get one that you like and get into it. Larger print, the better. And use as you're doing this a prayer list. I suggest a prayer list with current requests and different emphasis for different days. Uh, I suggest a quiet time notebook, and I'm going to tell you how to use that in just a minute, where you jot down the message of the Bible reading to your life. A very important, another very important item is that you approach this time with a spirit of expectancy. What is this, what is this I'm about to do? Well, I'm not just preparing for a lesson. I'm not subbing, uh, getting a lesson to sub for Mark, <laughs> which I was scrambling to do this morning. Well, I'm not just preparing a class lesson for the fifth graders. I'm not just trying to learn information to cram it into my head and impress a friend when we're talking later on. I'm not just keeping an accountability for a duty somebody put on me. I am waiting on God Himself. I'm I'm hearing the psalmist say, Be still and know that what? You're not God. God is God. And that's the hardest thing in our lives to remember. Be still and know that I am God, the Lord says. So we approach unhurriedly His Word, reminded that He is God and He knows what I need in this moment. Now, how am I going to get that Word? Is it going to be the lucky dip method? You know, take my Bible and I just kind of... All right, here's the message. 
He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. Well, that's a pretty good one. (laughs) That's not the best way. I'm sorry. Might work for you. But the best way is a pattern of some kind where you go through the Gospels or where you focus on a particular part of Scripture. I recommend, based upon this idea of establishing eye contact with the Father, contact and looking at Jesus, I recommend that you focus on Jesus at least three or four days out of a week. And if you can do it every day and then go to your other passages, that's great. You may only begin, you may only be able to do this 10 or 15 minutes a day beginning if you haven't done it before. And you'll think that's a long time. And then before you know it, you're 30 minutes. And before you know it, you need a whole hour because you are soaking it up. When you get to this place and when you approach it with a spirit of expectancy, I suggest you read the passage three times. Three times. You're thinking, well, I'm not that slow. Yeah, you are. All of us are. You read it the first time, you get the general lay of the land. You, you see what's there, maybe. You hear the conversation. You, you watch Jesus. But the second time, you see something else. And the third time, and if you read it even more, you'd see something every time. If you're waiting with a heart of expectancy and looking for God to show up and wanting to know what He has to say to you. So read it three times and then think to yourself, what is it, God, that you want me to hear? What command you want me to obey? What sin do you want me to avoid? What, uh, uh, what message is mine through this, here and now, for this moment in my life? And there will always be one. There will always be one, I guarantee you. If you approach it with that spirit, and then I recommend you write that one down. It may be three words. God loves me. That may be the message for you that day. You read the whole chapter of Romans 8, maybe. And you wrote down one message. God loves me. Now, you could go on and write paragraphs and paragraphs about that, but don't. (laughs) Just the one. Focus on that and then pray. Pray first about what you just wrote down and God's message for you. Pray secondly for those other people in your life that need your prayers. And offer praise to God in the process of all of that. And then finally, at the end of your prayer, pray for yourself and your own needs. Now, those are my tidbits. Those are my suggestions. But I also suggest, of course, most importantly, that whatever that message was, obey it. That day, obey it. Obey it repeatedly. Maybe even share it with somebody else. Not in a boastful way, not not bragging that you had a quiet time or that you did the right thing, you learned something from God. But just sharing it because it is important to you. And as you talk about it, it becomes more important to you and it becomes a part of your life. You obey it and you move on and God continues to transform you as you do this. The scriptures say in Paul's writing to the Corinthians that as we focus on Jesus, we look without the veil, he's telling the Corinthians in his second letter, we are transformed, we are changed into his likeness from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3.18 God bless you and me as we are every day wanting to be and willing to discipline ourselves to be transformed to be more and more like Jesus. Praise the Lord for the opportunity. Let's pray and then the uh, quartet will come. God, we, we thank you with all of our hearts for revealing yourself through Jesus for wanting to 
to reveal yourself and for wanting to have eye contact with us as we look at Jesus. Father, thank you so much for the Gospels, for the powerful and, and incredible portrait that you paint of Jesus there. Help us to see him better. Help us to, to focus on him as he washes feet, even of those who would betray him in a few hours. Help us to see him touching the untouchable and taking time for the people that were outcasts, that were uh, of no worth to their culture. God, forgive us when we have been caught up in gathering all the things that we drive and that we wear and that we live in. Forgive us, Father, for our preoccupation with food and clothing and our our poverty of spirit sometimes that leaves us afraid. God, give us strength in in the midst of our weakness. Let us admit we need you and bring us to your word on our knees. Over and over we pray in the name of Jesus. The Alpha and the Omega. Amen. Thank you, Charles. What a great heart. Thanks for coming in at the last minute. Jehovah, the Prince of Peace is He. 
the son of man, seed of Abraham, second person in the Trinity. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. The Son of God, the King of kings, Lord of lords, He is everything. Messiah, Jehovah, the Prince of Peace is He. Son of man, seed of Abraham, second person in the Trinity. He is the Alpha Omega, the beginning and the end. The Son of God, the King of kings, Lord of lords, He is everything. The Messiah, Jehovah, Prince of Peace is He. The Son of man, seed of Abraham, second person in the Trinity. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. The Son of God, the King of kings, Lord of lords, He is everything. Messiah, Jehovah, the Prince of Peace is He. The Son of Man, Seed of Abraham, second person in the Trinity. He is the Alpha and Omega, the Son of God, the King of Kings, the Messiah, Jehovah, the Great I Am, Seed of Abraham. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, Son of God. King of kings, the Lord.